0: It is a debate that will never be resolved. The reason it will never be resolved actually goes long back before anybody wants to dig into statistics and sort through and weed out what all of those mean. The debate over who is the greatest athlete or which is the greatest team of all time in any given sport will never be resolved for this reason there is never going to be an agreement on how one defines great. And if you can't agree on what the definition of greatness is, then why would you ever expect to agree on who is the greatest? If your definition of greatest is how many rings an individual or a team has, well then how do you factor in the player who was fortunate enough to be shuffled around and privileged to play with one championship team after another, regardless of his caliber or or ability? Or do you define greatness on the basis of certain statistics, and if so, then which ones? What about the individual who dominates one statistic, one category, but is maybe mediocre at best in the remainders? What if you have an individual who's a record holder in certain areas, but but not in others. And then how do you compare different positions on different teams in different sports when they have entirely different roles altogether? How would you compare the greatest offensive lineman with the greatest quarterback of all time? Totally different roles and responsibles, responsibilities, different metrics by which you would determine greatness. Greatness. And so sports analysts and and fans will never uh, arrive at any conclusive decision at who is the greatest of all time. And that helps us understand the hard truth that is before us this morning, recognizing when we look at the words that Jesus spoke, that part of the challenge, part of the difficulty, why this is such a hard truth is because we can't even necessarily agree on what's the definition of peace actually is. And if we can agree on a definition of peace, why would we ever expect it to exist? Is peace the absence of conflict? Is peace tolerance? Is peace ignorance? Is it complete agreement on any given matter? See how just a a few examples demonstrate that different people have different ideas of peace. So let's look first at how the world might define peace. And and it seems to me that this seems to be a a, a little bit more uh, aggressive than it has been in the past. Maybe ironic for a definition of peace. But peace, as the world sees it, means that you agree with me on this matter or that matter. It doesn't matter if you have a a different opinion and you leave me well enough alone and you kind of mind your own business. The world has gone so far as to say if there's going to be peace, your opinion isn't just an opinion anymore. It's either right or it's wrong. And if it isn't in agreement with me, then we can't be at peace. And if that's the definition, if it's two sides expecting that the other has to agree with them for peace to exist, peace is not going to exist. How would you define peace? It's one of those terms that we, we speak in church. It's one that we sing about. It's one that we read in Scripture again and again. But that's one thing that, that really doesn't matter if you have your own working definition of peace that doesn't line up with the way that, that church speaks about it, the way that, that Jesus has revealed. His peace. Now, most of us wouldn't go so far as to say that this faulty idea that peace means the Christian isn't going to have any trouble in this life. We get that. And yet, we do find ourselves, even as Christians, sometimes slipping into this transactional relationship with God. This idea that as long as I do the things that he wants good Christians to do, for the most part, life will be pretty good. So I show up at, at church, and, and I pray, and I read my Bible, and for the most part, again, there's, there's going to be some hiccups here and there, but by and large, things will go pretty well, and God's favor will be flowing, and, and I'll be at peace. That's sometimes the misconception that we have. Or maybe our understanding of peace is is a little more accurate as to how God speaks about it, but we don't really scratch below the surface much. We understand, well, peace means that, as we said with the children's sermon, that Jesus has forgiven my sins. And that's absolutely true. But if for us that is mere head knowledge, if that's mere information, good to know, but we don't live in that peace, we don't apply that peace to our day-to-day lives, but, but put it on the shelf then what good is that peace that Jesus came to bring us? If I pass up that peace and I shelve it in favor of of pursuing the perfect partner, why am I surprised that I find disappointment again and again? If I shelve that peace in favor of my family and my kids' schedules, why am I surprised that chaos and stress always seem to exist? If I am constantly worried about money and possessions, why am I surprised that there's no place for peace at the table? We recognize that it's one thing to know this peace, it's another to live in it, especially when we struggle to define it. So rather than trying to define what we think peace is or what the world thinks it is, let's look to see how God defines peace. And, and I think that one of the best definitions that God gives us of peace in his word is found in the book of of Romans. The Apostle Paul, right at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, gives us just a concise, beautiful definition of what peace is. He says in verse 25 of chapter 4, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Paul gets right to the issue. He, He explains exactly why Jesus had to be delivered over to death for our sins. Our sin slaps God in the face time and time again. And as we might expect, so long as that is our relationship with God, how do you expect peace to exist? If our sin is a slap in the face to God, and and the issue is that we're the wrongdoers, we're the ones who are guilty of that, how can we fix it? It's our problem, we're the problem, we're at fault, and we are helpless to do anything about it. So peace isn't going to exist on our own, and that's what Paul says. That's why Jesus had to be delivered over to death for our sin. And because he was, all of those wrongs of our sin have been righted in Christ Jesus, have been paid for. The price was paid in full, and not just that, but as Paul very clearly explains, it wasn't just Jesus' death, but his resurrection that allowed God to say, despite our sin, that we aren't guilty to declare us justified, not guilty. And if our sin no longer exists between God and men, not that we haven't sinned, but that God chooses to to accept Jesus' payment for sin and calls us not guilty, then we stand in grace. And as long as we stand in grace, we are at peace with God. Think of of it this way. There are, are really, there's two circles One circle over here, you can imagine on the ground, is is a circle of guilt, and right next to that is the circle of grace. God's Word makes it very clear that the reason that we can't be at peace with God on our own is that we are guilty of the sin that slaps God in the face, and so we belong in this circle of guilt, but because of Jesus and what he has done and God's declaration because of the payment of his sin, God declares that we are no longer in this circle of guilt, but we are now standing in this circle of grace. So when it comes to peace in Jesus, no guilt, only grace. Now let's us, let us apply that definition, that understanding of peace and that illustration to the hard truth that Jesus speaks this morning in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now that stands in contrast to what we know the rest of Scripture says, that's why it's a hard truth It appears to be a contradiction because you know uh, around the time of Christmas when we're used to hearing those beautiful passages from the prophet Isaiah and he describes this Jesus who would be born into the world as the Prince of Peace. And then on that day of Jesus' birth, the angels, of course, sing what? Peace on earth. Why? Because Jesus was born into this world. That very Jesus who right here says, I didn't come to bring peace, but division. How do we reconcile those two? Did Jesus come to bring division? We have to answer yes, because Jesus came to bring peace. And the very peace that he came to bring into this world results in division. So yes, Jesus is at fault for the division in this world, in the same way that the Father is at fault for taking his family out to ice cream. And one of his children decides that she doesn't want any ice cream while the rest of the family enjoys it. And of course, after seeing the rest of the family enjoying their ice cream, she changes her mind and decides to put up a stink that it's not fair that everybody else got ice cream but her. Why is there division in that family right there? Because the father took them out for ice cream. It's his fault. There wouldn't have been division if they hadn't gone out for ice cream. But you know that the issue is, is the one child who refused that free gift. That didn't want anything to do with it and then chose to put up to make an issue about it being unfair that everybody else received it. Now let's apply this to Jesus' words. Yes, Jesus came to bring peace into this world. But we can simplify for all of the other categorizations and distinctions that we would want to make about people and skin color and language and background and status in society. God sees really two classes. There's those two circles that we talked about. There is this circle of guilt and a circle of grace. Jesus came to bring peace so that everybody could stand in this circle of grace but not everybody desires to. And so they remain standing in the circle of guilt. Not because Jesus hasn't paid for their sins in full. Not even because God the Father has has failed to declare them not guilty of their sin. He has. But like the child who refused the free gift of ice cream, they don't want the peace that Jesus brings. And now you look at this circle, if there are just two categories of people in this world, those who stand in the circle of guilt and those who stand in the circle of grace, what do you see? Division. A natural division between those who have rejected that peace and those who, by God's grace, rejoice in that peace. This was a hard truth, not just for us, but a hard truth for Jesus as well. Yes, because he knew the price that he came into this world to pay. He knew what was required of him to bring that peace in the world to, as Paul said, be delivered over to death, to be crucified as a criminal. But he also knew something else. He knew that in order for people to receive that peace, they would have to acknowledge that they needed it, that it was absent from their lives, and that their own sin was the cause of it, that lack of peace in their lives. In other words, that is the very repentance that Jesus speaks of requiring the appreciation of this peace. And Jesus knew this would happen, but it wasn't going to be pleasant. Jesus knew that he had to go through this, but it was going to cause him no small amount of anxiety. That was the picture that he was describing for us in the beginning of these verses, when he says, "...I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under..." until it is completed. Imagine being in the shoes of Jesus, knowing full well you came into this world to bring peace for every soul, every human being, but to also at the same time know that it would be rejected, this free gift of peace, by so many. And that is the cause of the division that we see in the world. A division that many of us know, sadly, can often hit very close a home. A division that if Jesus himself experienced, you better anticipate that his followers will as too, as well. Which is why ministry is never going to be an easy thing as you are a part of a congregation. Well, I, I take that back. It can be an easy thing if you have nothing to do with it. If your idea of involvement in a congregation is to show up occasionally and not really be engaged in the ministry that Jesus has entrusted to his church, it'll probably go pretty well for you. But if you're interested, if you are invested in this ministry, expect the same kind of division that Jesus said is going to happen. In your own personal life, as you proclaim this peace to others, and they reject it sometimes, and as you serve in in a congregation and you see... People come in and and visitors and friends that maybe come along, but then they they take issue with one of God's truths or one of his teachings and it turns them off and and away they go. Or or the ministry of our school, when when new families are brought in and their values, the things that they hold as ideals and priorities, don't align with the mission of our school and people are turned off and division results. Guess what? If you signed up to, to be involved in the ministry of a congregation, Expect that kind of division. Because Jesus says that's what's going to happen as a result of the peace that he came to bring. But that doesn't need to deter us, deter us from proclaiming that peace faithfully and confidently. Because we know, as Paul defined peace, that we stand in God's grace, not in that circle of guilt, but in God's grace. And we know that just as Jesus himself was rejected and people were divided over him, that we have to have thick skin as well and don't take it personally when our proclamation of peace results in division and rejection. Because this, we know, will never be up for debate. So long as we not only proclaim but live in the peace that is ours as God defines it, the peace that exists through Jesus. We have no worries, no concerns, no doubts. Again, no debate. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that kind of peace means that we stand in grace. And that's a pretty easy truth to live in. Amen.